Let me read God's word beginning in uh, Luke 2, uh, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. May the Lord add His blessing to those who hear, believe, and obey His Word. Amen. Amen. It is a delight to spend these Sundays of Advent uh, going over four topical sermons, if you will, on the subjects of peace and love and joy and hope. We've already heard about hope. Today we're talking about peace. Next Sunday, the 18th, is love and joy on uh, the 25th. Such tremendous words. And they come, these words of the angels, this angelic announcement, they come as incredible good news that there's been a great arrival, a delivery, if you will. Now, I know these are days when many of us are shopping for Christmas. And uh, sometimes when you've ordered a package, you wait for it to arrive. You watch your mailbox or you watch your front door to see if a package has arrived. Uh, with so many children and so much shopping, my wife and I open the front door multiple times a day to take a peek. I came down the stairs the other day, and this is before I ate my breakfast. I opened the door and there was a package. It must have come in the night. And some of us are really enjoying the fact that on your smartphone, you can get a picture of a package on your own front doorstep. That's pretty exciting unless you're not home and then you wonder, oh, everybody can see that. And you hurry. Just because a package has arrived doesn't mean you can enjoy it yet or that you've received it yet. You have to open the door. Pick it up, bring it in, and close the door. You have to go to the mailbox, or you have to find out which neighbor it was delivered to and get it and bring it home. The sending of a gift and the receiving of the gift are two distinct steps. It's my hope that during these weeks of Advent, as we discuss these wonderful themes from the Bible, that you will understand what God has provided for us. There are reasons for hope. There is an offer of peace, and we hear it from the angels, but there also needs to be that step of receiving. And this is what preachers do if they're worth their their muster. we, We preach what the Bible says. This is what God has done. Believe it and receive it. Earlier in worship, we heard the The reading from John chapter 1 as part of our worship this morning. How the Lord was the light. He came into the world. He came to His own. His own received Him not. And then John's Gospel has those tremendous truths in verses 13 and 14. 
saying um, that, um, but to all who did receive him, verses 12 and 13, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God gives the gift, but it must be received. So that's our theme over these weeks. There is hope. There is peace. There is love. There is joy. But you need to embrace it on God's terms. And just to be really clear what we're talking about, when the angels declare glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men, they're saying that this is arriving And in this case, as we'll see today, it's a package deal. It's not just peace for us that's being delivered, but there's glory for God. And the two go together. You know, a lot of people come to church over the holidays out of tradition or maybe hoping to scoop up some benefits. This morning we'll find that these benefits have been delivered. They're available, but in this case... It's a package deal. If you want the peace, you also need to give God the glory and be in a right relationship with him. Well, let's jump in and break this down under three headings. It it should be fairly simple and and uh, perhaps review for many of you who have been Christians for a while. Uh, The first heading is simply peace arriving at Christmas. We begin with that very first Christmas. There was peace in the world before Jesus was born. But it was all hinged on what God would do through that person. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Notice this historical birth. There's a real day being talked about here. Luke chapter 2 began in verse 1 with that historical reference. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So we know when that was historically. This is not a story once upon a time and do with it what you can. It's a historical event that took place. (laughs) We recently, on December 7th, many of us remembered that Awesome and terrible event that started America's involvement in World War II on December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy, Pearl Harbor. And hopefully back in November, on November 11th, you remembered that day that signaled the, the end of World War I. We remember dates in history. My friends, the birth of Jesus is the date of history. In the fullness of time, God sent his son to procure peace, to crush the serpent's head, to inaugurate his kingdom and bring us into the world to come. A real day, a real city and a real birth. Although Jesus had a supernatural conception within Mary before she had known a man, she was with child. But that birth, those nine months And that birthday, when the water's broken, the baby's coming. Mary says to Joseph, the baby's coming. It was a natural birth on that day. And baby Jesus had an umbilical cord. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. There's a realness to this. Christianity is not simply a philosophy. 
And peace arriving at Christmas, this particular event is marked out in all of history with angelic announcements. Some of you know your Bible history pretty well. Can you think of another time when not just one heavenly messenger came, but as we're told, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Now, one angel can overthrow a city of people. One angel is a mighty figure. An angel appears, you check it, every time in the Bible, it startles people and they can barely breathe. They are filled with fear at the presence of a powerful, heavenly being. I think instead of artwork portraying angels in robes with harps, like they they couldn't get a job doing anything else, we need to think of angels as God's warrior messengers capable of executing His will in His way any time of day or night. An angel appears. But not only the first angel, but with him a multitude of the heavenly host. A great throng that I think filled the horizon. And they all proclaim in an apparent unified voice. We believe them to be singing. Glory to God in the highest and unearth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Why the spectacular, unique, angelic announcement? Because peace was about to be brought into a broken world. This event is worthy of our attention. Now, when the angels came, there's two parts to their announcement. We can see that. We'll just mention it in passing. The very first words from the first messenger is, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't overreact. I am a messenger from God, the Holy One who made heaven and earth, who's going to hold you to account. And my appearing might remind you of Him and your sin, that you're not ready to meet your Maker. But fear not. So there's a pause put on our instinct that there are greater supernatural beings Beyond us, we're accountable to a God who made us. All those feelings are put on hold for the moment so that the angel could also say, Behold, I bring you good news. And perhaps you've never wondered about what those angels were thinking as they spoke the good news, as they declared the birth of a Savior, as they talked about Him lying in a manger. I love how The commentator and pastor William Hendrickson explains this and unpacks this for us. Let me share what he said. These angels, having been associated with Christ in heaven before his incarnation, knew something about his glory, his riches, his majesty. They'd also been aware of man's fall into sin, the brokenness and depravity of this world. And they had been informed that God had provided a way of salvation for man. The archangel Gabriel made an announcement to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It implies the angels are aware of the plan of salvation. But did they also know, says Hendrickson, that this work of saving man, while at the same time fully maintaining God's righteousness, meant that the father would not spare his own son? That the son, though that he was rich for people's sake, would become poor, bearing the curse resting on those he came to save. 
and that the Holy Spirit would condescend to dwell in sinful hearts, applying to them the salvation that the Son brought? Do the angels know that? He says we can assume at least that the very birth of Jesus in a condition of poverty and depravity must have caused these angels to stand in awe of God's indescribably marvelous love. The words of Luke 2.14 here, above everything else, are words of adoration for a God who saves sinful men. Something is happening. The angels proclaiming the birth of a Savior. Peace was arriving at Christmas. Well, let's talk about that peace. Because the message of peace and the arrival of peace is all in a person. Peace arrives in Christ. Let's take a step back first, though, and see the provider of peace as was promised. Okay, this means we're going to take a quick look at the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, this is a good time to start and follow with me. We're going to look at Isaiah starting in chapter 7. We're going to look at Isaiah 7, 9, 11, 40, and 42, but it's going to go that quick. Isaiah 7, 14 is a wonderful place to start when we see that this peace was, was spoken of, the provider of this salvation was spoken of first in this cryptic way. In the middle of chapter 7, the Lord's talking through Isaiah about some contemporary issues in Israel. But in the midst of that, prophetically, these words come to us, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that means God with us. What an unusual prophecy that a virgin would bear a son, even though that's not the way it works. That would get our attention, wouldn't it? God's going to provide. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, which we read earlier in worship, calling us to worship. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Interesting language about a child, one who would come. And what would he do with his coming? The verse continues. And the government will be upon his shoulders. What do you mean? The government of all things. The government of the universe. And his name shall be called. And these names? This job description? My friends, they only point to one being. That must be the divine Son of God. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And you see how those titles are combinations of words so that no mere man might say, Oh, I'm a Counselor. I'm a Father to you. I'm mighty. I can bring you some peace for a season. No, these are superlative qualities and titles of the unique one who would come Isaiah 11, just the first couple of verses, describing again the arrival of God's provision in this somewhat cryptic way. You have to remember that King David's father was named Jesse. And so Jesse bore David, and from David would come lines of kings, including this Messiah. Let's look at Isaiah 11.1. There shall come forth a shoot 
from the stump of Jesse. The imagery here is of a tree stump. And how do you get a tree stump? Easy question. You cut down the tree. And so the tree's gone. You just have a stump there. And stumps don't give you leaves or acorns or anything. It's just a stump. But God's word. This is it's like virgins having babies. What are you talking about? There shall come forth a shoot, green, wooden life from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, something unusual, supernatural is going to happen. And then it's described. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We're talking about a person. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. This is no mere prophet. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It goes on. Isaiah 11, talking about this provider of salvation and peace who would come. Isaiah 40, we should know because of that clarion call that uh, brings comfort to our ears just to hear the words. Uh, We associate these verses mostly with uh, John the Baptist, don't we? Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Why do you make the preparations? Because he's coming. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we won't keep reading, but Isaiah goes on and on beginning of chapter 42, as we looked at recently. Uh, The servant songs, the servant personally described, the one who would come. And as we think of peace and its promises, we think of its fulfillment. Who is this provider of peace? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, the one who was born, the one whom the angels all gathered together and made their announcement. And maybe they all pointed towards Bethlehem as their glory reflected upon the dark earth that evening. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, the mighty hand of an angel directing men to see God's provision. This baby, this Jesus Well, how would Jesus provide the peace? Now we see that Christmas must be followed by Good Friday and Easter Sunday. If you remember the Bible story, and again, this is is review to those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, but can you imagine someone craving peace that only knows the name Jesus? They need to know that Christmas was followed by a life that was holy, A life that was laid down, 
a life that was surrendered at the cross where blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, the divine Son of God for the sins of many. And on the third day, that body was raised from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus. The provider of peace is Jesus. And even that process of how it would be provided was foretold. We did not read as far as Isaiah 53. I trust you know it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Isaiah 53 proclaimed the person who would provide it and the process. Jesus' arrival in the manger was the advent of peace, but it would be procured and then provided at the cross when he was crushed, when he laid down his life. The provider of that peace is Jesus. And we need to note that how do we receive this? If Jesus came... And the Bible's giving us the picture of the gift that's on our doorstep, the doorstep of your heart and mind right now. Right now, Jesus is offering himself to whoever hears his gospel preached. Well, how do I receive it? There's, there's no doorknob here. How, how do I bring this gift into my home? You do that by faith. The provider of peace is received by Faith. This gift is given and it's received by faith. Let me tell you what it says in Romans, the great theological book of the New Testament. I'll cite two passages on this most important point. From, excuse me, from Romans 3, beginning in verse 21, Paul describes that how this broken world has this beautiful delivery of salvation and peace in Jesus. And how it's obtained. This is how he says it in Romans language, 321. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's been repeated multiple times, received by faith. Continuing in Romans 3, verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just, sin gets punished, and that he, God, might be justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans three twenty six, The provider of peace has been born, and we bring in the gift by faith in Jesus. 
When Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he said, Jesus, he himself is our peace. You see, Christianity isn't a, isn't a how-to manual. Okay, if you want to build some peace, assembly required. And you have to do all the do's, avoid all the don'ts, and cross your fingers. And That's not what the Bible is. The Bible, like those angels, is a declaration. God has unilaterally made peace, and he's providing the one in whom you must believe. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. I come by faith and receive that peace, that salvation by faith. I quoted Romans 3, but let me also quote Romans 5, verse 1. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Romans 5, verse 1. Since therefore we have been justified by faith, that's our believing, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we've done the do's and avoided the don'ts, but because we put our faith in Christ. This is good news. And the angels, they're proclaiming this. God's come and he's going to do it all. Born like men, so he has blood to shed and he's going to die for them. He's going to be buried and then he'll be raised. These 33 years, beginning at Bethlehem, the angels were astonished. And all they could say was glory to God and peace to men. Look at what God has done. Jesus is the provider of that peace. And finally, let me talk about what that peace is. Because it really needs definition. In the modern world, we still need to define our terms. What are we talking about? I think we're helped by the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, which means well-being. Peace of mind, tranquility of heart, contentment, all these things. We're not talking about simply the cessation of hostilities. We're not just talking about an armistice or a ceasefire. We're talking about the war is over. Do you remember the preface from Isaiah 9? Some of you were listening. Before we got those words, unto us a child is born... It's talking about the ending of war and bloody garments being rolled up. and The peace that God brings puts away all those contentions and sinful consequences. I want to talk about this peace in its three dimensions. The most important dimension comes first. If you come to Christ by faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. As Romans 5, 1 said, we just read it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, believing in Christ, we have peace with God. You can have peace with the one who made you. You can have peace with the one who knows every thought in your mind. He knows what you've looked at on the Internet. He knows what you've said in secret to others in a very mean-spirited way. He knows what you took. He knows what you failed to do. He knows how selfish you are, and I am. The God who knows every thought and intention of your heart can forgive that if you're in Christ. And he can shed his love upon you and claim you for his own. You can have all the benefits of peace with God in Christ. 
You know, God is described in many ways in the Bible. We usually think of his holiness or his power. Do you know that in the New Testament alone, five times God is called the God of peace. Why do you think that is? My friends, God wants to be known as a savior, peacemaking God. But he will not take off his other qualities to do that. He is still just, so someone has to pay for your sin. Either you will, or your Savior will. You can have peace with the God of peace through Christ. What does it mean to have peace with God? You need not fear passing away and standing in the presence of God. What can man do to me? If God be for me, what can man do to me? John Piper says, if you say, I want peace, but I don't want the glorious God. I want the peace, but I don't really want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Then you won't have the peace. He will be our peace by being our God. You remember I said the angels, when they spoke, glory to God, peace to men. That's a package deal. God's not just handing out peace like credit cards with an unlimited spending limit. Go do whatever you want. No, God is saying, come to me. Know me. Be in right relationship with me and I will provide. And among things, you will have peace. It's a package deal. Peace in three dimensions. It begins with peace with God. But secondly, there's a peace within your own soul. Now, if you happen to Google peace these days, I often Google to see what the world is thinking. You'll see that there are anywhere from three, four, five, seven or multiple types of peace that people talk about. Uh, you could probably boil it down to most of those lists in the in the Internet world. Talk about peace is either outer or inner. Nothing wrong with that, those distinctions. We have peace with God. I'm not sure if that's outer or inner. I think that's both. But don't forget that even as you have peace with God, your name is written in the book of heaven, the life. You can have peace within your heart. That means your own soul rests securely. I remember the first time I stepped into a canoe. Have you ever made the mistake where... uh, Uh, You forget to hold on to something. You just kind of put your foot in. And if it's not right in the center line, you find how tippy a canoe is. And uh, if someone was filming that uh, 40 years ago when I first stepped into a canoe, it would probably still be on YouTube. It's a pretty hilarious moment. But I didn't fall in the water. I had a lot of bruises, though, by bouncing, trying to recover. What is it like to have peace in your soul? To have solid rock under your feet. To have the shepherd at your side. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. As a young man with such a vivid imagination um, and a bedroom in the basement. See, I wanted my own room in, in a little house. There wasn't room. So I corner of the basement became my bedroom. I had to have a light on because I was afraid of the dark. And to go down the basement stairs, I had to cross the entire basement. My bedroom was in the corner. I hung a blanket to kind of make a wall. 
And, you know, if somebody turned off the light over by the stairs, I don't think I would ever get out of there until dawn. Because of a fear of the dark. But I remember the difference. I wasn't seeking it, but after I'd come to Christ, I was on my knees in that same bedroom when I prayed to receive Christ. July 11th, 1978. And I was never afraid of the dark after that. I remember when it first occurred to me. What does it mean to have a peace within? You can live in this broken, tempest-tossed world with a little bit of your own gyroscope that keeps you kind of upright, even though the world will push you from side to side. The world would give anything for that peace, so they say. Some are trying to spend their way to it or live through relationship to get it or perfect their muscle tone and skin tone to get it. There's only one way to have inner peace. That's through a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Does that help? Besides just using the word peace, it says there's no condemnation. God's not wagging his finger at you anymore to have peace with God, to have, dare I say, friends in high places. What will rock your boat if you're right with God? Inner peace. I think the most uh, clear expression of this inner peace is in Philippians chapter four. These famous verses as the Apostle writes to encourage the Philippians not to be anxious, to pray more, this is what he says. And listen to the outcome. He says, Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Really? In everything? Yeah. Your Father will make it right, or He'll make you right in the midst of all the wrong. Thou will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee. Isaiah 26, a a prophetic promise. And here Paul, the Apostle of Jesus, tells us pretty much the same thing. Pray, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. I'm so thankful that Paul wrote both expressions. The Holy Spirit knows that we need to hear that. This this isn't just an emotional band-aid. It will bring peace to our minds. Men... Let me just, ladies, just give me a second. Men in this room, we think and we go over details. We want to provide. We want to figure out how to fix things and make sure everything's okay. We have these impulses. Men, you can have peace in your mind through the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that because you know what? Things will come up. You don't know what to do. Peace with God, peace in your own soul, and the third category of peace as we hurry along is peace with others in your life. That's possible when you're a Christian. 
The Bible tells us that the Christian is able to say no to sin. The Christian is able to turn the other cheek. The Christian is able to go the extra mile to have peace so far as possible, so far as it depends on you. You can live peaceably with all. That's what the Bible expects. That's what Christ enables us to do. Peace with others. We can remain calm. Paul exhorted the Philippians with this language from chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, Christian, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That forgiveness, that grace, that peace within bears fruit and we become peacemakers. We become kind people. We become like Christ. I would submit that the greatest gift you can give to your loved ones is to be more like Christ. To be a peacemaker. Does this world need peacemakers? Help wanted signs are everywhere for peacemakers. People in your workplace, maybe people in your family tree that are so wound up. They need the peace that God has delivered, that you've received, that you enjoy, that you can share. I want to close with perhaps two of the simplest closing exhortations I've preached in 30 years. Number one, ask Jesus for peace. Ask for that peace. Remember I said the the package has been delivered. Preaching the gospel means it's on your doorstep. Open the door. Ask Jesus for that peace. If there's any doubt, any clarity of your relationship with God, ask Him for clarity. Ask Him to make it happen. Ask Jesus for that peace. And secondly, keep asking. Keep asking. Remember that Philippians? Paul was writing to Christians. They already have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, keep praying and the peace of God will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we need to keep connected to our Father. Remember that the peace we experience connects with God being God in our lives. Is He glorified in your life? Are you trusting Him? Are you believing Him? Are you calling upon Him? That's how we experience the peace. It's a package deal. Need I sing to you a line from that hymn? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Ask Jesus for peace and keep praying. God has given us His Son. Will He not with Him give us all good things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this good news. We're an angel to appear in this room. It couldn't make the news any more grand or true. We thank you for Jesus, his historical birth, life, death and resurrection. May we put our trust in him. May we receive peace from him. May we know a life without condemnation. May we live at peace with our neighbors and help bring peace to this broken world. Father, do these great and glorious things.
For that's who You are. And that's what You've promised. We thank You and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.